Hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, fifth TGSS of Kenobi Tam. And um, today we are very, very fortunate to have Sunam Chilin um, present her research today. Um, Sunam Chilin is a PhD student in Tibetan studies at the University of Hamburg, um, originally from Bhutan, and her current research focuses on the general presentation of Tantra by Longchen Minchen Sangpo. And today she's going to talk about her current research on this quite early text um, attributed to Rinchen Sangpo on the Gudeshi. So uh, without further ado, please, uh, Sunam, if you could uh, share your screen and uh, begin the presentation. Okay, thank you, Jake, and thank you, Team TGSS, for this wonderful opportunity. Uh, let me share my screen. Before I start my actual talk, let me briefly introduce the work that I'm carrying on now. Uh, this Judichinam, which is the topic of my dissertation, is attributed to Lochen Rinchen Zangbo, who is a renowned translator during the early part of the later spread of Buddhism in Tibet. He's in fact known as the first Tibetan translator of the new period or the period of the later dissemination of Buddhism in Tibet. What is known in Tibetan Buddhism as the new Tantric Buddhism, as opposed to the ancient Tantric Buddhism, can be said to have been triggered mainly through his translation and composition activities. While several Indian works translated by him have been transmitted in the Tibetan Buddhist canon, works composed or believed to have been composed by him have been rare or rarely accessible. But recently, however, a work uh, with the full title, Judici Nambar Shabat Hidden Lungi Gengi Teba, has surfaced, which is attributed to Lochen Rinche Zangbo, of course. The title may be rendered in English as a presentation of the tantric systems in general, adorned by the ornaments of Tinevul authoritative sources. This work uh, explains the practices of the initiation into external and internal mandalas. It introduces the view, the meditation, conducts, and fruition of each tantric systems, such as of Kriya, Charya, and Yoga. It also explains how and why various tantric doctrines were taught to different students of various capacities in different manners. However, the today's actual talk uh, will be not on the, the work itself, but mostly on the, the, the authoritative sources. As the title says, adorned by the ornaments of Tinable authoritative sources, my work indeed have like several sources uh, cited from uh, different works. So today's would be on what are his authoritative sources, and how author employs authoritative sources, the affinity between the citations and the canonical sources and the reception of the Judicina. The author has consulted 83 different works. He cites several kinds of authoritative sources from works belonging to sutras, shastras, and mostly from tantras. However, he does not cite any Tibetan sources. From 83 different works, he cites 220 citations, the highest number of citation is from Wang Rinchen Kolo, where the author cites 29 different uh, citations without repetition, followed by He Vajra Tantra, from which the author cites 20 citations. From Duchi Mejung and um, 
He cites nine different citations, and the author cites eight times each from the Damsi Chumbiju and the Kuya Sarvachinda Tantra. From the Samputa Tantra and the Kuya Samaja, he cites seven each. And from 12 different sources, he cites two different citations each. And from 50 different sources, he cites uh, uh, one citation from each uh, of these 50 different sources. Although our author does not mention how authoritative his sources are, he does cite numerous scriptures mainly for the following three purposes, as the Tibetans say, in refutation of the position of others, in support of his own position, and in response to the supposed criticism. Besides attributing the authority in support of his own position, our author also cites the authorities in refutation to others' position. For example, while presenting the identification of the nature of the completion stage, the author first presents three strong points of others, which he does not agree. And then in their refutation and in support of his own position, he relies on his teacher and other scriptures as an authority, as he have cited here. And no wonder that the title of this work, Tedin Lungi Gengi Teba, indeed the author cites numerous scriptures in support of almost every one of his explanation. At times, even for figures, he just cites sources. For example, while explaining the cause of the deterioration of the tantric pledge, our author simply cites the following. He said, Nyambutsula sum des. So these are his explanation. Uh, just he simply cites these sources and then he have no further explanation of his uh, position. In certain occasions, the author also attributes the authority to the scriptures as an evidence to the supposed criticism on his position. For example, after his detailed explanation on the initiation, he cites the following scriptures on his as his supposed objection to his supposed objection. And then in what manner does he employ his sources? So he has these four different manners that he cites his sources. One, the same citation he cites in support of one and more purposes. And then at times he have this adsensum and adverbum uh, ways of citing. And then sometimes he cites the citation just as an explanation. And then when he cites, sometimes he indicates that the sources, but at times he does not indicate the sources at all. So, Among 220 citations, our author repeats like um, from five different sources, which are some partial and some exit full sources, where he attributes the authority to some first in support of his two different explanations. For example, he cites the following first in support of his two different explanations. Here uh, in, in this, he cites this. Uh, uh, um, first, in support of the explanation on the precepts, 
where the lower positive aspects of the precepts of the bhikshus are being included in the higher aspects. He said, he says, so here it is in support of the precepts. And then later he cites the same verse in support of his explanation on the benefit of the initiations, where he claims that the immediate benefit of the initiation is the initiation possessing the authority to carry out the activities of the Vajra Acharya here. Again, he says, this, here he is talking about the initiation, the, pen, the benefits of the initiation. And he says, Again, the same source, and he cites the same verse. Sometimes he cites only at sensum, but he sometimes he also cites literally. For example, while presenting the nature of developing stage, which he presents as any liberating path of Vajrayana that refutes grasping at the stable world and the wavering sentient beings, and that which is different from the self-distinguisher of the completion stage, the author cites the following as a backup. He says, and then while presenting the seven uh, distinctions through which the Buddhist teachings transcends the non-Buddhist teachings, he first lists the seven distinctions, namely the view, the object of refugee, the object of veneration, the practices, the soteriological results, the philosophical systems, and the excellent dharma, and then he cites the following citations. So here it is very literal. Occasionally, our author also uh, does not even bother to explain his point. He simply cites the sources instead of any further explanation. For example, while presenting the stages of the process of purification of the developing stage, for the explanation on the visualization, he simply cites the following uh, sources. He says, Ten la nile, tenji janshi rimce gombani, pel tanile, namkri kamsu bagasam, isu number nangzegum, kolosa dang chuning in jitter ripa, jinza dang, tanam gini lunchendangs. Here, for the visualization, even he just cites the, uh, the sources and then he doesn't have any further explanation. In most of the time, the author uh, explicitly states the title of the source. However, in certain occasions, the author simply cites Gurle or Ji, and at times he simply cites Tetar Yang and then cites the first. And in few occasions, the author simply cites the first without even any indication of the source. For example, he said, here he does not even cite uh, the source at all, but later the, I realized actually it is the citation from Mulapati Samgraha. So when he explicitly specifies the authoritative sources, is it always accurate? 
in most occasions, the author explicitly specifies the authoritative sources. Around seven citations are, however, located in different works than the sources that our author has attributed to. For example, he cites this source called the Doje Khandro. The Doje Khandro is name of the title of the chapter in Samputa Tantra. It is likely that our author quoted directly from the Sanskrit text, which was not translated yet. And it was translated into Tibetan only later after him by Kayadhara and Drupmi. So the title he, he renders here and the title that we have in the canonical sources differ. But this is the only one example. He has similar cases with a few other citations as well. Among 220 citations, uh, 32 citations from 23 different sources seem problematic. Besides the issues with regard to the source titles, such as those citations that are found in other works, uh, instead of what the author has cited and the identification of the sources, which are not identified by the author in his text, the following three seems worth discussing, which I have categorized as the untraceable verses, the untraceable sources and verses, and no information within reach. Most of the verses cited from the following sources are located. Uh, this from these three, the Dojitsemo, Yishidruba, and Tabodibichu. Uh, However, five verses cited from the following three different sources could not be traced in both the cited source and the other sources. Moreover, one could also come across the later scholars citing the same verse from the very same source. It is, however, difficult to trace this verse in the canonical sources. I am not certain if this exists in any other works with similar titles, which I'm not aware of. And for 14 cited verses from 12 different sources, both the first and the source titles uh, cited by our author could not be located anywhere, except finding the later scholars citing in their works, either the exact cited first or similar cited first from the very same source. Occasionally, some modern or pre-modern scholars, such as Bhutan Rinchendro, Longchenba, Taranatha, Thupkwan, and Pabonga, uh, etc. They either discuss the issue or cite similar citations from the same source in their works. For example, our author cites the following verse from Domba Jamso. He cites Thogmar Minje Wang in the Jolje Lamni However, neither the first nor the cited source could be traced so far. Apparently, the cited source called the Domba Jamsuji is a problematic issue here. Yet other works such as the Kebigatin, the Mengak, Jengi uh, Dome, and the Sanction Pema, they also discuss and cite this Tomba Uh, But one should remember that in Sanction Pema, he cites Tomba Dombe Jamso, not Tomba Jamsuchi. And all these works cite different verses from Tomba Jamsuchi, which are found only in that particular work and nowhere else. The Kilkor Dombe Shog. Uh, the Kolo Dombe Kilkurgi Choga, sorry, is attributed to Domba Jamso as well. For, uh, for example, in Nigumas Kilkurgi Choga, uh, it states that the Choklangi thing is in the Wangkurgi Choga, Yishiki Dakima Nigume, Domba Jamso Chile Chuaos. So here one can assume that Domba Jamso Ju could be existing in Sanskrit and not yet translated into Tibetan. However, Taranatha seems to be refuting on the basis of Domba Jamso not being reliable. 
Taranatha in his Kilkor Juktak, he states, Dangbo Tanani, Domba Jamsi Jula, Sheba Shidis, Sheba Dila Gobaji, Domba Jamsi Ji, Cheba Tin Mebaum, Gelde Yukang Dina, Dine D. Tembe Lungang Ripa, Namdakchi Yus. So he questions here again. And similar, similarly, there are other citations as well, the other uh, scholars discussing about the problem, sometimes citing the same verses, but because of the limited time, I didn't include all here. And to go to the last one, the no information within reach, these 13 citations um, from these 13 citations cited from this 11 different sources, which I have presented here, they seem very ambiguous because I could not trace any information on them thus far. Besides not being able to identify both its sources and the citations, it was not even possible to find any parallel sources that could indicate any sort of association with the citation or trace any Tibetan or Western scholars discussing about this problem. So I would really appreciate uh, in later in the feedbacks or comments if someone have any ideas of this uh, sources, this works, which I could not uh, manage to find any information thus far. So our first uh, cited from the work called the Penenpaktu Mibichu is a special case. Uh, the source could not be traced, nor could uh, one find any scholars citing or mentioning anything about this work. On the other hand, this verse is found in the Sarva Dushtana Vidara Sadhana, but as a paratext at the end of the work. So here you could see here in this text, it is a paratext here. I don't know if you could see my cursor here. So that was the citations cited in my text, but then actually I found it here as a paratext and it was not in the cited sources. And I also realized actually this particular sadhana, it is also not transmitted in Degi edition of the Dinjur. Besides the above 23 works, which I could not trace it anywhere, 33 works are extant in Sanskrit and 29 works are extant in Tibetan translations from the, those cited works, uh, those from my uh, author. So does all authority convey a similar message? Although all those 220 citations cited by our author were all either in support of his position or to present others' position, however, if one explore further in the sources he authorized, not all sources seem to convey the similar message as our author. One such example is the following citation, which he cites from the last chapter of the Kuya Samaja Tantra while presenting the classification of the initiation. He states the following, um, so our author clearly cites this first as a textual evidence for the existence of the fourth initiation. For he not only classifies the initiation into four types, but also lists the fourth initiation as the fourth. On the other hand, as pointed out by Professor Isaacson, the source text itself, the Kuya Samaja Tantra, explicitly states the initiation to be of threefold. Moreover, according to Isaacson, the debate and the very idea of the fourth initiation following the Prajna Janyana Abhisheka, 
and the cons controversy concerning what this uh, cryptic line Shiba Deang Deshino, the food is that again in the same way, might mean started from this very first. Here it seems that in order to support his own explanation, our author intentionally skipped the first line uh, from the Kuyasamaja Tantra, which reads, Wankur Ewa Namsundo Jidilani Raptutak. So now the affinity between the citations in the Judicinam and the canonical sources, I thought of discussing uh, the affinity between these two. But before we discuss this, let me uh, briefly uh, present you the assessment of the textual witnesses. So I might have to rush a little bit here because of the limited time. So here, um, the critical edition of my Judici Nam is based on three textual witnesses, which I call A, B, and C. A is a manuscript written in cursive script and contains 55 folios. It was found in the Library of International Buddhist Academy, Kathmandu. Um, to tell you, this text actually took me three years to get hold of this manuscript. Uh, it was uh, only later I learned about it. And for that, I'm really deeply grateful to uh, Alexander Rinpoche and Gensherab for locating this in Kathmandu, and also to Kembo Jordan for kindly sparing his time and scanning this text for me so that uh, I don't have to go all the way to Nepal as planned initially. And also after discovering this witness, uh, I must say that the, my studies became more exciting. And so needless to say, this witness B, it is a computerized copy of manuscript A. It was included in the collection of the commentaries written by the early Sakya masters, which was published in 2007 in Kathmandu and now available in BDRC. Both the styles of the lines in every folio and the manner in which the annotations are inserted are very similar. If one, however, compare closely, one could often come across some typos and at times even some lines of witness A being omitted in witness B. Moreover, some of the annotations of the witness A are included as the main text in B. I have thus decided to include B as one of the textual witnesses. C is a recently published one, which is included in the collected works of Lochen Rinchen Zangbo. It is a computerized edition published in the form of a book in 2018 in Lhasa. Since the editorial introduction makes no mention of the manuscripts at all, one can only surmise two possibilities. It is either based on A, where the revisers updated and possibly over-edited it, or it is based completely on a manuscript, a different copy, which, uh, could, which could be earlier than manuscript A. I doubt that C was based on A for the following three reasons. First, the title and the uh, colophon. The colophon of C reads, uh, as you see here, I have uh, mentioned in the under the, the text and the witness A and the C, I tried to copy the colophon here because I thought if I put the picture here, it's a little bit difficult to read. Um, and also the title witness A provides full title. The name of the author is mentioned in the annotation in the witness A. C, however, provides a short title together with the name of the author. Here, it gives room for one to speculate that textual witness A is more archaic. 
which is also closer to author and perhaps also the main manuscript on which other witnesses are based. I speculate this because usually the author would not merge his own name together with the title of his work. Moreover, the full name of the author is already clearly mentioned in the colophon, hence one would not see the need of author's name to be included in the title. The name of the author is usually merged with the title of the work if it is discussed by a second person. In such a case, one may speculate that C must have added the name of the author simply from the annotation of, from, of the A. Furthermore, in the colophon of witness C, the title of the author is merely included as Gelong with the last name Zango, while the colophon of witness A not only provides the full title and the full name of the author, but also the location where this particular work was composed and other names of the author. The inclusion, the one of the most significant evidence of the is the inclusion of the annotations of witness in the different types of the first one is with the plus sign as I have it here. And then the second one is also in a non-cursive uh, form, but with these dot signs, the annotations. And the third ones are with the dot ones, but they are in the uh, cursive style. And then fourth one, again, in cursive style, but without any kind of signs, simply inserted next to the lines or in between the lines. The first and second type of annotation seem to be author's annotation and it fits best as the main text. Both of these annotations are already included as the main text in witness B and C. The remaining two types of the annotations which are in cursive style, namely this uh, third and fourth, in fact seem to have been added later, perhaps by the later revisers. So, Witness C actually completely omits these annotations. The first, uh, the first and the second annotations. In two occasions, however, one would come across these annotations of witness A, particularly the third one being included as the main text in witness C. This here, as you might see, I have underlined in the red part, which is in the cursive style, but with the dot ones. So those are, it seemed to be, as I mentioned earlier, from the later revisers, the annotations from later revisers, which the C actually completely omits. But here in one occasion, it has inserted the whole annotation as the main text in C. So, this makes one wonder that C completely omits the annotation of the revisers. However, few annotations being included unintentionally, perhaps due to skip of I. Only this part. And overall, the inclusion of the three types of annotations of witness A as the main text in witness C is already a very strong uh, support of my speculation of this textual witness A being closest to the author. And the common error, another evidence could be the citation from the Kusumgido uh, in this paragraph. Unlike witness A, C often seems to have polished its citations where it reads almost parallel to the canonical sources. On the other hand, for this particular citation, it seems that witness C made the same error of recording tok this ratok, ratatata, with sa, 
um, recording talk witness with a while the preferable reading is with here with this sato and actually the b reads sa which i think the editors try to correct it revise it later and a has a has ratok without sa and c actually it is always well polished one could see the spellings the the sources are always uh, better in the c but here it seems he have kind of made the similar error from the A while copy. On the other hand, the second one, the one also cannot rule out the possibility that the textual witness C might be based on another source, perhaps the closest manuscript, which could not be located yet. I hold this position to be plausible because of the following three reasons again. Sorry, the four reasons, the absence of textual interpolation, the attribution of citation to the correct sources, the smooth reading, and difference in the style of the sentence correction. In some occasions, witness A appears odd, which I doubt is the textual interpolation by later revisers. It suddenly cites something which is out of context. For example, in this paragraph, while explaining the nature of precepts of one person being transformed and taking one identical nature, a suddenly cites second citation from the uh, Chakrasambhara Guya Chintra Tantra, which actually explains the distinctive superiority of the vehicle of the Vidyadharas, which I believe does not support the author's explanation on the nature of precept at all. The one with the green highlighted one is the one that one could see in the A. Moreover, for the next citation of the paragraph, the author simply cites tenile, which means from the same text, right? And which according to A, it should be actually the Chakrasamvara Guya Chinta Tantra and to C should be the uh, Guya Sarva Chinta Tantra. The citation is located in Guya Sarva Chinta Tantra, that very first being cited from the preceding source of the witness C also supports my doubt of the former citation to be the text interpolation in witness A. At times, A simply cites citation without indicating any source, while C attributes the same citation to the correct sources. Moreover, the citations in C reads more parallel to the canonical sources and makes more sense with the context of the author's statement. For example, in the citation from the Kuya Sarva Chinta Tantra in this paragraph, A omits the second line of the first, which C includes in its citation. The canonical sources actually includes this line as well. A similar example would be the citation from the He Vajra Tantra cited in another paragraph, where witness C reads exactly like the canonical sources while a couple of simple tenses read uh, different in A. Yet again, one can speculate that the witness C to be either based on different manuscript instead of A or the witness C is the result of the excessive editorial work. I claim this because witness C not only indicates the correct source of the citation, but also cites the lines of the citations, which makes perfect sense to support the context of author's statement and also reads parallel with the canonical sources. 
with regard to the context or the content, witness C is more smooth and easy to understand. For example, this paragraph, here the witness A says, Dangbunni Pungbu Dang Kam Dang Kimche La Sopi Dibi Chinigi Jitinam Yindes. Whereas in the C he says, Jangshi Pungbu Dang Kam Dang Kimche La Sopa Dibi Dugi Semchen Dang Ji Dang Kankim La Sopi Dibi Chinigi Jitinam Yindes. So here the witness A omits chunks of the sentences, right? Chigi Semchen Dang until Sopa Dibi. While C actually includes also. In fact, this sentence is in the C. It makes more sense with the cite, uh, cited citations together to support his statement. One of the most significant evidence to claim that the witness C is based on another source is perhaps uh, would be the reading in the sub in these two separate paragraphs. The reading in this paragraph is not only a strong evidence to claim that witness C is based on another source, but also the existence of another manuscript to A. Unless one may convince oneself that the author perhaps tried to change his style and simply attributed the, the source after the citation, the sentence construction does not correspond to the actual style of our author at all. Our author usually employs three different ways of citing, namely he indicates the source of his citation first and then cites, and the second, he does not indicate the source and simply cites the citation. However, it is indicated by the concluding phrase, she saw. And the third, he does not indicate the source at all and also is not indicated by the concluding phrase. However, the source are sometimes identified in the annotations. The reading in this paragraph is a special case. The two source titles are indicated after the citation in the style of annotation. However, it is here as the main text. In this case, though it is not an annotation, but the main text, I assume this to be annotation belonging to the third case. Third case where the author does not indicate the source at all, neither indicated by the concluding phrase. However, the source titles are identified in the annotation. One can assume the two source titles to be added by the later revisers as an annotation, which got integrated in the main text later in the witness A. The omission of these two source titles in witness C also supports my assumption that witness C is based on another source, because usually it is the C who actually gives the correct attributions. Here this, and this one is, it really looks like an annotation, I think. Uh, it must be annotations later, but which became the main text. But in this manuscript A, it is the main, it's inserted as a main text. So one can only assume it to be the annotation. So overall, the orthography, the styles and the use of terms, both witnesses are not consistent since the readings found in these two witnesses, A and C are not completely identical. One may assume that copy that served as the original of the witness C was either a copy of manuscript A in which case the witness and the parts of the rearrangements in the reading could be the result of scribal error or deliberate changes by the editors. Whether it is based on a manuscript A or a different one, C indeed seemed to be a product of an excessive editorial work. Although C often corrects the synthetical forms, meanings, and orthography, at times C really seemed to have over-edited the text as well. 
in any case to address the possibility of the existence of yet another witness or manuscript would go beyond the scope of this work. Nonetheless, I am certainly confronted here with the question as to which witness can be justifiably be called as the earliest one. The question will have to remain unanswered here. However, for the sake of my quest for the affinity between the citations in this Judicinum and the canonical sources, I have proposed witness A as the closest to the author and hence the representative of this work, merely on the basis of Lectio Difficilio Potio. Witness A is still more difficult to read than witness C. With this principle, indeed, witness A is archaic and closer to the author. And moreover, five of the citations which are cited as annotation in witness A are omitted in witness C. Hence, I took witness A for the comparison of the uh, canonical sources. So for the comparison, I have recorded every small different reading strictly, even if one grammar key is reads differently, I have recorded the works as reading differently. Although the citations convey similar meaning, oftentimes one could locate a different use of terms, sometimes small differences in orthography, and at times a slight shuffle of lines or words. For those two, I have recorded them as different reading. I have, however, intentionally ignored the missed lines of the citations because our author, in order to fit his own explanation at times, he intentionally leaves some lines out while citing the first. So this is the, um, the comparison I try to make. Um, these are for the Kanjur sources. And based on my observation, among 29 works cited from Kanjur sources, citations from nine works read exactly as the reading of the Kanjur as found in the talk edition. These are the ones are highlighted with green, the, the green highlighted ones. While more citations from three tantras, namely the Hevajra Tantra, the Ratnamala Tantra, and the Mahasamaya Tantra reads more similar to the reading of the Peking edition. And these are the... the yellow ones highlighted with yellow. The rest as presented here seem more chaotic. Oftentimes, the two canonical sources read similar to each other while the Judicinum reads slightly different. Sometimes both the two canonical sources and the Judicinum read similar and at times all three read slightly different in their own ways. In rare cases, Few parts of the citation in the Judicinum follows the reading of the talk edition, while few other parts of the citation of the Judicinum follows speaking edition. Overall, for the Kanjur sources, most of the tantric scriptures cited in this Judicinum are actually closer to the talk edition of the Kanjur, hence following the uh, Tempangma uh, lineage. And finally, the uh, reception of the Judicinum. Thus far, I could not find uh, enough evidences or testimonies that the Judicinum was popular or that people have access to it. The only textual witness in, uh, is the work of Sogdok Balodi Gelsen, who lived in the 15th century. In Sogdok Balodi Gelsen's reply to Karmapa Mikidoji's doubt regarding the Nimapa tradition titled Gelwiwangbo Karmapa Mikidoji's Hence, uh, 
one could see Sotokpa not only citing chunks of Rinzang's explanation, but also citing the same verse from the same source, such as the Maya Jala Tantra and the Bel Damsusunkevichu, both of which could not be located in the uh, cited sources. So, relatively speaking, the canonical sources such as Dege Katen, Tok Kanjur, and Baking Katen are very recent editions, perhaps just 300 or 400 years old. This particular work, however, is composed more than a millennium before. Hence, one can assume why most of his citations could not be traced in the canonical versions, and perhaps that could also be the reason that the verses are often located in different works than the sources that our author has attributed to. As pointed out by De Jong, um, another reason could be due to the text discrepancies in the translation, the corrupted manuscripts, and the dissimilarities of the Tibetan translations from the Sanskrit text. Moreover, for a great translator like Rinchen Zangbo, there is also room to assume that he could have just made use of those Indian sources that he knew by heart without even referring to it. Hence, one can expect slight differences in the readings. So thank you very much. And I look forward to your feedback. <laughs>